Welcome to House Calls, where we get to talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, delivering kinder, smarter, affordable care for all. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of the dynamic healthcare industry. This month, we're focusing on an area that does get a lot of attention, staffing in hospitals. We've seen nurses strikes across the country. We've seen labor costs skyrocketing. Our article is titled Reimagining Healthcare Staffing, Partnership-Focused, Data-Informed, and Nurse-Centric. My co-author is Andy Goldberg, one of Kane Brothers' newest managing directors. Welcome to House Calls, Andy, where the bankers are always in. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we're going to have some fun today. We certainly had some fun writing the article together. So let's kick it off and set the context for our listeners. Talk to us about the massive staffing challenge that health systems have faced over the past couple of years. The nursing workforce has always been a significant portion of any hospital's overall budget, usually around a quarter. We've been talking about the crisis in the labor market for some time as the demand for nurses has consistently exceeded its supply. Then came COVID, which put all frontline healthcare workers and especially nurses under enormous personal strain. Suddenly hospitals needed more contingent nurses than in the past and the market for those nurses has become extremely competitive. So what's the big picture? What happened? And how has that pressure affected health systems and the market for staffing services? Sure, uh, you know, it's a great way to kick this off. I think rolling back the tape a little bit, prior to the pandemic, there is always this supply demand imbalance in our healthcare system when you think about human capital. It's gotten worse, you know, there are fewer people going into nursing schools the supply-demand imbalance continues to gap out and was only exacerbated by COVID with burnout and, you know, people just wanting to leave the industry. So, you know, we faced a firestorm of need in and throughout COVID, and hospital systems just couldn't keep up with it on their own and increasingly turned to contingent labor to fill that gap. That's where we saw just you know, in essence, amazing you know, once-in-a-generation type of financial performance from healthcare staffing companies, inclusive of, you know, publicly traded companies all the way down to, you know, kind of your local mom and pop, as they were, you know, really the ones on the front line helping those frontline workers, you know, um, get into those in the situations. And in essence, requiring combat pay to, to, to get into right. those uh, situations. And, and thus rates and you know, the total cost of labor really just gapped out. And some of the data that, that we have in the article, you know, just between, I think, 2019 and, and 2021, just the labor cost on a per person basis within a hospital went up nearly 20%. And obviously, you know, hospitals are already operating on thin margins, right? And they have become thinner, if not negative, right? Because of all of that. So, well, you know, and, and as you were discussing that, Andy, I was thinking a lot of the ability of the hospitals in the country to pay nurses more was a function of the government providing 180 billion of emergency funding to hospitals. 
you know, because hospitals basically collapsed without elective surgeries. So they've come back. The, the emergency funding is gone. The labor costs are still high. The peak prices have come down a little bit. The spot market isn't quite what it was, but it's still tough. So maybe before we get into those pressures, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the composition of the contingent nurse workforce and the different subcategories. For those who aren't familiar, tell us what types of jobs these contingent workers do and how they differ from one another. I, you know, I guess there's a couple of main classes of contingent jobs when you're thinking about a hospital, right? You have your your travel nurse. Right, I would say the most expensive, right? You're bringing somebody in from another part of the country or sometimes another part of the world to, to have a you know, 13 plus, you know, week assignment, uh, at, at your facility. Uh, and then you have, you know, a little farther down the line, you have a, a local nurse and that's somebody who is traveling, you know, give or take, you know, two hours to your nursing facility. And, you know, those are a little less expensive, just considering you're not paying the per diems and, and other things that are required for a travel nurse. And then at the, at the lowest level, you have your per diem nurse. And this is someone who, you know, really probably gets the assignment the night before or the day before they have to show up. And that's, you know, you're, you're plugging an immediate hole for somebody that, you know, calls out sick or, um, you know, has, you know, something come up and they can't make it to work that day. And I think that that is just the cascade of, of pricing also, too. And, and then, you know, you can unpack those further based on where they're you know, located, whether you're in an acute care facility or a skilled facility or some other post-acute uh, situation. You could be a licensed practicing nurse. You can be a registered nurse. You know, there are so many different flavors and types as you kind of unravel the, the web of contingent labor within you know, the hospital system. Yeah. What do the hospitals do or the nurses do themselves to make sure that they fit in as seamlessly as possible into the workflows of the different organizations that they visit? No, that is something I feel like hospitals and health systems could probably do better. Usually, the hospital would you know, take over some sort of onboarding of that individual, and you know that's really kind of where that ends. And then they're dropped into their facility. I think there's always a little bit of us versus them that happens, seeing as that individual is you know there for you know a couple of months, you know, give or take, and then they move on. So I, I think that is definitely something that could probably be done better by the hospitals, better integrating those individuals and probably increasing the opportunity to either, you know, maybe at some time convert those people to full time or get a, uh, a repeat assignment back to that same facility or hospital you know, based on need. Great observations on the friction that can arise and hopefully between the nurses and the hospitals can be minimized as, as new people plug into positions. Hospitals have traditionally relied on staffing agencies to supply contingent workers, especially nurses. How has this traditionally worked, and how is that model evolving in response to these supply and quality challenges that we've been talking about with regard particularly to nurses, but to all clinical staff? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, staffing solutions have 
definitely had to evolve and I think evolve you know fairly quickly to adapt to the shifting sands I'll say uh, of uh, of healthcare staffing you know they've really had to develop and deliver you know better technology oriented solutions to you know at least try to take some cost out of the delivery of that you know nurse or that individual right I, I think some of that as we've heard in our interviews, uh, was really important to the, those organizations and to, to the hospital systems, right, where they're really trying, you know, their hardest to help with an acute labor issue, but also, you know, not kind of price gouge along the way. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a number of outsourcing plays, as you know, in healthcare. Staffing has become a, a major part of that, the managed service provider model that you know, most hospital systems now leverage. And, you know, that is a way for, you know, them to offload that whole entire, we'll call it value chain, onto, you know, one provider who then turns around and, you know, has, has a network of additional providers to at least work through at a, you know, pretty meaningful clip to get, you know, people into, into seats as quickly as possible. The other thing that staffing firms have, have been doing is trying to create more of a, we'll call it network effect internally, where they're trying to, you know, help these nurses, not just, you know, get them jobs, but, you know, also help, you know, kind of guide them, you know, through their career arc, uh, whether that's, you know, offering other solutions. Again, I keep harping on nurses, but, you know, say you don't want to be a rounding nurse anymore. There are other uh, solutions where, you know, these companies are acquiring or standing up the ability to work with payers and they could be, you know, nurse case managers internally, things like that. So trying to extend that career arc and trying to be that, that partner to the nurse, I think is also becoming really, really important as these companies really seek to differentiate themselves amongst their peers. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned the managed service provider model. I mean, we really did our homework here. We must have talked to at least half a dozen leading staffing agencies, and we broadly split them into two categories, one of which was the managed service providers. Why don't you talk to us in a little more detail about that market segment and some of the leading companies in that market? Sure. Happy to. So I think the managed service providers are, you know, in essence, kind of top of the food chain when it comes to being close to the the order. So these are companies that are creating direct relationships with the hospital and working with them to define their contingent needs and then seeking to fulfill those needs. Uh, You know, companies are providing additional service solutions and, and technologies as well. And then the kind of next stage of that would be, you know, those that are operating within the managed service model. So you're a provider to the MSP. And these are, uh, you know, still very important people in the, in the ecosystem. I think, you know, that the more important you are, the higher up you are within that network of MSP providers. And those are companies like, Epic Staffing Solutions and a Ingenivis, you know, while these businesses also have direct relationships with hospitals and healthcare systems, they're also working within the, the MSP. You know, I, I think of it as, a, as an ecosystem of, 
you have your direct relationships, you have your network relationships, you have technology solutions, and all the while trying to create a seamless solution for the hospital as well as for the provider. The other broad group of categories that we split the staffing agencies into were businesses that really lead with their technology platforms. How are they approaching the marketplace differently? Yeah, technology providers, at least the ones that we interviewed for this piece, I think are pretty differentiated from your kind of managed service provider and or other kind of network players. You know, those businesses, the IntelliCares, the, the Gales of the world, you know, these guys are focused more on the per diem marketplace and really those that are operating outside of the acute care setting. So these are per diem workers into skilled nursing, into acute care and other situations like that, where I'd say the per diem model is a bit more prevalent. And then there are other technology businesses, and one that that I find really intriguing that that we interviewed is called Trusted Health. And Trusted is developing and delivering a technology solution. They're not a recruiting company, if you will. They're a pure technology firm that is really there to help hospital systems optimize their labor, whether it be contingent labor or full-time labor. That's their focus and the way that they are accessing the market. And these businesses you know, still operate within the broader ecosystem of healthcare staffing, right? You, you know, the whole idea, in my opinion, is for these companies to work with these hospitals to you know, save them money over time, right? That should be you know, the goal of any company is selling into another company, right? I, I can do it better, cheaper, and faster than you can. And I think all these businesses operate within that same kind of goal in you know, differing views on, on that outcome. Yeah, you know, people, technology, human machine collaboration, you know, we're all getting up to speed with chat GPT and how it's going to change the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so staffing, by definition, is a very person-centered business, but it also needs scale and robust analytics to optimize its performance to achieve efficiencies and so on. So how do you view that balancing of the people and the technology? And ideally, it doesn't always work this way, but ideally, the technology would enhance human productivity and enjoyment in the workplace. Yeah. As I said, it doesn't always happen. It particularly doesn't happen in healthcare. But how do you look at sort of the balance between the people side and the tech side? And how do we get it right? Yeah. You know, look, I think there's a place for it all. And I think, especially when you're talking about acute care settings, there's never going to be a pure technology solution. There's, you know, never going to be a pure human interaction solution because there's a one today, right? And I think even with the advent of better and more advanced technology solutions, from what I'm hearing from spending time in this market, the buyers of these services still need a human touch. Mm -hmm. There are hospitals and individuals, the kind of healthcare professionals, that still want to speak with their recruiter. They establish that relationship, right? And that recruiter then knows what kinds of roles they, they you know, want. And, you know, there is a little bit of that hand-holding. And then, you know, there are always places for technology, whether it's, you know, doing some of the back office work or, 
you know, showing those individuals, you know, if you're a traveler, what, you know, either on a physician side or on the nurse side or the allied health side, you know, where the apartment buildings are, what, you know, other things look like, you know, there are definite ways to play technology when you're talking about your traditional staffing model. And then, look, I think hospitals just need to get more efficient and they need to leverage technology to do so. Hospitals have never been pushed for efficiency. And there are companies like, you know, as we were just talking, the, the trusteds of the world have that really important place to then come over the top and say, look, we can help you manage this. We can help you do this better than you can do on your own. And you can leverage technology to do so. Again, I keep going back to this idea of an ecosystem. And I think there is an ecosystem when, when it comes to technology and, and human interaction when, when we're talking about staffing. Well, partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. I do think health systems, as they move and become more platform-like, need to figure out who their partners are going to be and integrate them seamlessly into their delivery models. And that has to do with labor as much as it has to do with service functions like urgent care clinics, for example, or emergency rooms that they are sometimes contracting out with. So really great point. Well, Andy, you're a banker. You got your finger on the pulse of the market, buyers and sellers. So for the buyers right now of staffing service companies, where is the market? Is it active? What parts of it are particularly attractive? Which parts maybe a little less so? What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, look, the market is very, very active right now. I'm seeing a lot of activity, as you can imagine, on businesses that are trying to monetize their growth on the backside of COVID. You know, usually the travel nurse businesses in that regard, and that probably a little less interesting to people today or at least right now, as there are still, you know, somewhat elevated bill rates in the space as a, you know, private equity firm trying to buy a business in this end market, trying to underwrite that potential degradation in bill rate. And what does that do to overall profitability and market opportunity? It's definitely giving buyers pause. That said, still seeing deals get done. Valuations have come down off their highs because of some of that noise. Also seeing a lot of great activity in that per diem market, focus on skilled nursing. And you know, I'll say just maybe more on the kind of the post-acute per diem side, seeing some great activity there. And then seeing a lot of technology solutions. So I think, you know, looking forward, people see hopefully as the public equity markets become more active, we'll end up seeing a couple of new publicly traded businesses in this space, which I think will be great for the market and just for overall visibility. Mm. I think we'll see some other acquirers come into this space on the technology side when you're thinking of those that have relationships with hospitals and health systems and want to expand that in a, in a more fulsome way. I think helping with human capital is a, is a great way to do that. And look, I think, you know, there's just going to be continued activity and consolidation across the space. So as buyers are looking to evaluate it, it's definitely becoming a, a little bit more of a buyer's market from a valuation standpoint when you're thinking of your travel nursing businesses. But I think that's kind of a natural ebb and flow post a you know, global pandemic that pushed rates and profitability for these businesses to all-time highs. Yeah, so still active, but backing off a little bit. And uh, you're a busy guy. Yeah, trying to be. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you're not too busy that I can't do what I always like to do with the Kane Brothers Bankers. And before letting you go, give us one bold prediction about the future of healthcare 
what are you seeing on the horizon, either for healthcare staffing specifically or healthcare more broadly? Wow us. Yeah, you know, my whole prediction is somewhat related to staffing, but I think we're going to see hospitals go through an evolution here, and I think it's going to be very painful for them to do so. I think, as you well know, we have a hospital problem in the United States, and these hospitals are more and more becoming unprofitable, and they're going to have to do dramatic things to get back to profitability, and I think that's going to really cause them to streamline operations and maybe not be everybody, everything all at once. Is that what the movie's called? <laughs> I think they're really going to have to pull back on what they what they want to be when they grow up and really focus on their core. And I think that's going to cause some dislocation in you know cities and towns across this country. Wow. So a very different looking hospital sector as it tries to remain financially solvent with some negative impact on communities that probably get shortchanged in the process. Yeah. We'll leave it there, but thanks so much for this great discussion. I encourage our listeners to read Andy's and my article reimagining healthcare staffing, partnership-focused, data-informed, nurse-centric, if you'd like to learn more. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you do to make our healthcare system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for all. Thanks so much.